Hello and welcome to another episode of Thoughts from the Middle Cabin. And I can guarantee you today I'm going to ramble on. Uh, I have no notes in front of me today, which uh, usually means that I continue to go on about the same point again and again without actually getting anywhere. So if it sounds like I'm treading water today, you're probably right. Because I have a lot of feelings about this particular subject I'm going to talk about, but I just don't know what the answer is and where to go. So today, talking about the recent uh, contracts that have been produced by Cricket Australia for the players that they're going to pay for the next 12 months and the ones that they're not going to pay for the next 12 months and what that sort of shows about where our selectors thinking currently is about where our cricket's going to go for the next 12 months. I think we've got some problems. I think the selectors think we've got some problems. No one seems to have the answers. Today's not about finding the answers. Today's just about discussing what happened with Trevor Holmes and his comments during the week. So, without further ado, let's get forward with thoughts from the Metal Cavern. So I guess the first thing to do is to run through the list of 17 people who have been chosen for the uh, the contract list. And, I mean, you know them all. It's uh, just run through there. Pat Cummins, Cameron Green, Josh Hazelwood, Marnus Labashane, Nathan Lyon, Tim Payne, James Pattinson, Steve Smith, Mitch Stark, David Warner, Ashton Agar, Alex Carey, Aaron Finch, Glenn Maxwell, Kane Richardson, Jai Richardson, and Adam Zampa. So there's probably a little bit to unpack when it comes to some of those names on the list as to why they get uh, a contract and others don't. It's obvious with the T20 World Cup coming up this year and then again next year in the current uh, climate. So we've pretty much got two T20 World Cups in the next two years and then we've got a uh, the one-day World Cup the year after. So the next three years have a plethora of white ball cricket. So I guess somewhere on that list they had to make sure that they had enough players who they felt the basis of their white ball cricket team was going to be were on that list. And I think you can safely say if I've you know, um, put those into two lists here on my sheet that Agar, Carey, Finch, Maxwell, both Richardsons and Zampa are going to be mainly purely white ball cricketers. You'd expect that perhaps Jai Richardson and and perhaps, you know, probably even Alex Carey will end up getting into that test team at some stage in the next, let's say, two to three years. But generally those guys are being on this list for white ball cricket. That's not to preclude... Other guys on the other list, of course, who are also white ball cricketers, but those seven players look to be uh, established purely as white ball cricketers on this list. So that's a fair whack. 
and it doesn't um, it doesn't preclude other people coming in, but it makes it really difficult when you think about all these cricketers who have had a chance over the last six to eight months for Australia and are suddenly uh, not on that list, whereas some of those, it, you would think that you know, they should probably deserve to be there. It's a big thing. Um, and we have to consider, and Holmes did actually sort of say this, that he has to consider who's going to get a game in the next 12 months compared to who isn't. And that shows as much to do with the, the way the selectors are in a quandary at the moment as anything else. One of the things that interests me is that Victoria have pretty much made it clear that Aaron Finch and Glenn Maxwell are unlikely to play Shield cricket for them ever again. That they won't be picking them in that, that they'll only be picking young players, and that those two players will get the opportunity to play one day cricket, whatever form that takes for a domestic cricket next season, but they won't be picked in Shield cricket. So here are two guys who are on the national contracted list who are, I've already been pretty much told by the state that they will not be chosen. To play for the state. Now, what happens if they didn't get a national contract? Does that mean that they would not get a contract for Victoria, given that in that very narrow period that the domestic one-day competition runs, that they would get that and, and that they would leave kids off their list who they know they're going to pick in Shield cricket? So, we're being with these guys are being paid at a national level. Now they're in national cricketers, and that's fine. But if they didn't have a national contract, they wouldn't even have a domestic Shield contract. It's a, a, a crazy situation, and that's where these um, contract lists sometimes uh, fall down and don't really perhaps reward the right people. Man out at long on, but he needs to be 25 seats back. So look, I want to run through a couple of things that Haynes actually said when he announced this list. And... The first part is this, and I'll quote him. What we're saying to a lot of players, at least those that are on the fringes, is sure it's very nice to be performing well in domestic cricket, and that allows you to get chosen to play for Australia. But when you play for Australia, we require pretty good, consistent performances. And then, of course, if you can do that, they will acquire an upgrade to a Cricket Australia contract. We're not necessarily saying we're unhappy with the performance of some of our players. We're just asking them to contribute a little bit more on a more consistent basis when they get into that national team or get called into those squads. We want to make sure the Cricket Australia contract list remains very, very competitive and make sure the players see it as a huge incentive to gain one. With all players who are outside this list, nobody's written off and there's no doubt that across all formats, 17 players can't cover it. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity available for any player who's missed this list over the next 12 months because there is a lot of cricket to be played. White ball, red ball, everything. So in essence, what he's saying there to the players or the main players who were spoken of who missed out, that you can do amazing things at domestic level and get picked for Australia, but if you don't perform to what we believe is your the standard we need, we won't pick you on this list. Now, there's a fine line between saying that a player, and we can use a couple of examples here in a second, is doing amazing things at domestic level, but 
because we don't think you're up to it and we don't think we're not convinced that you can still make it at a national level, we firstly, as selectors, won't pick you and then secondly, won't give you a contract because we're not going to pick you. And that's more or less what he's saying. Now, this season we've had um, at domestic level amazing, terrific, above-board performances by guys like Travis Head, Matthew Wade, or sorry, maybe not Matthew Wade this year, but Marcus Harrison and Moses Henriques. So, and of course we had Will Pekoski, who played only two domestic games this season um, and then sat around in the squad, got one test, got injured again. So Pekoski is the main name here who's been left off this list. And you have to think that that is a very, very strange thing to do. Now, he's had mental health problems, which the Cricket Australia have supported over the past two or three years by keeping him in and around the team when possible and then allowing him to to move away from that when he needs it. So this season he's come out and he's scored his double centuries at domestic level. He's shown everything he can do. And then he gets concussed again, which is another thing that Cricket Australia have supported him with over the last two or three years. Comes into the test squad, misses the first two tests because of that that concussion, gets picked for the third test, makes 50 on debut, then gets injured in the field and can't play the final test and can't actually play again for the rest of the season and has now had an operation on that shoulder which they are hoping he will be right to play the start of next season. So we've had support, 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 and now that they finally got him into the team, He's played one game, and they're thinking, oh, you know what, Will? We're not going to offer you a contract. We're going to have to wait and see how you pull up, and then we'll see how you perform. And if you perform well enough, then we will give you another contract. Now, how do you support a kid who has been the brightest talent in Australian cricket since probably Michael Clark came on and support him to this point where you finally get him into the team and then suddenly you just say, well, you know what, we're going to take that away from you and we're going to make you work harder. We want, you know, there's, we want you to show us that you want to be in this position. This is the completely wrong person to be doing this to. This was the complete perfect time to say, all right, well, you've done everything that we've asked of you to get to this point. We've given you all the support. Here is your contract. Now go away, get yourself ready for the start of next season and make sure that you are ready to go. Now if he fails in the next season, fine, you take that away from him. But why are you taking it away from him before an Ashes series where we absolutely, desperately have to have him because we have no one else anyway? That's a ridiculous situation. Then you come to Travis Head's situation. Now, a lot of people have um, problems with Travis Head, whether it's with his technique or whether he, they, he doesn't score enough runs or whatever it is. And that's fine. That's no problem with that. He's shown glimpses of what he can do. He's been earmarked since he was 19 years old to play for Australia and even be a possible future Australian captain. So this season he's been dropped from the test team. Um, and it's not because he's not making runs as such, but it's the way he's getting out. So, okay, he gets dropped from the team, and as per usual, you say, go back to Shield cricket, make runs. Well, he did that in the end of the Shield season. He scored another two centuries. Um, he's done everything that selectors could possibly ask of him. But, again, the selectors have sort of said, 
yeah, we're not really sure if you're going to be the guy who's going to be the answer for us. So we're going to take your contract away and we're going to make you work for it. What more has he got to do? He scored almost 900 runs in first-class cricket this season for South Australia. How many other people did that? Not many, I can tell you right now. And yet they're saying, no, you don't deserve a contract. Go away and work harder. What are they wanting to make? 200s every week. That, again, if you've got misgivings about whether you think he's going to play for Australia, that's fine. But who else is in your mind? And at the moment, if you look at that contract list, no one is. So I think that's really harsh on a guy who has worked hard to be in this Australian team, especially since uh, Newlands, and he may not you know, have succeeded as much as they would like, but his average is still only just below 40 in test cricket. Um, that's another mixed signal. I don't like it. Uh, other guys like... Uh, Matthew Wade has had his chance, and I'm sure everyone knew he was going to go down, but you know, he is still in the T20 team up until in the last couple of games. Um, so are they now saying that he's not going to be picked in that one in that uh, T20 team for the World Cup? That's fine, but again, if he's not, who's going to replace him? The problem is they don't know, or they probably do, but they just don't want to give him a contract. Marcus Harris is sort of, again, he's scored enough runs, Um and got a limited opportunity in, you know, once again, a one-off game to, to try and secure his spot at the top of the order for Australia. Um, Moses Onriks, who was in the squad for the Test team all year, he played in the 220s and the one days at the start of the year. He's in the Test squad and was not given a chance to bat in that middle order. And, you know, it's easy to say things in, in uh, retrospect, but perhaps he should have been given a game. And now, he's off the list. So are we saying now that, because he was in the test squad to go to South Africa where they didn't go, if he wasn't in that, would he have been in the T20 squad? Well, he was at the start of the season. So he's good enough to get chosen in all these teams all year. He scored enough runs all year, and now he's not getting a contract. Oh, go back, Moses, and work harder. Well, far out. (laughs) How many runs and wickets do they want these people to take before they say, oh, yeah, you're worthy of a national contract? If you're only going to pick the same three or four bowlers, and we'll come to the bowlers in a second, but if you're only going to pick the three or four bowlers in a test team, so does that mean we don't have any other bowlers in the uh, test uh, in the squad in the contract list? Oh no, we'll have 72 bowlers because oh well, you know, because we might have to break down and might have to change around. But they don't do it. So why why is it any different for the batsman? I don't. Yeah, I mean, Joe Burns has lost his contract, and so they say go back and score runs. Well, he he, look, he doesn't. He knows, and everyone knows he doesn't deserve a contract, but as another guy, how much support – he got his support last year when you know things you – know, he got a contract this year, but we're not going to do that for Pekoski. We're not going to do that for Travis Head. It's, it, uh, it reeks of double standards, and unfortunately with our selection panel, this has been the problem for years and years and years. Oh, just reach out and catch it, Jeffrey. And then let's get off the batsman for a bit. Let's look at the bowlers. Michael Nisa has been in this squad for two years and doesn't get a game because we're going to pick our best bowlers. Or when we go to England, we actually did rotate. We had to use our certain four or five bowlers. And then we come back home and he sits around with the test squad all year uh, for two summers, it feels like, and hasn't gotten a game because... 
suddenly last season we decided no matter what, we were going to go with our same four bowling attack options the whole time. And so we had Stark and Hazelwood and Cummins, who are great bowlers. But Michael Nisa has done everything asked of him at a shield level, everything you could possibly do, not only taken wickets, but scored runs, scored a century. And we're looking for all-rounders. We're looking for guys who can bat and bowl. And, you know, Cameron Green got his chance this year, which is fantastic. And we thought, okay, here's a guy who started off as a bowler, then got a back injury, so he's turned himself more of a batsman. And then we've given him a bowl, and he still hasn't got a test wicket. And he's bowled, I don't know how many overs now, but doing his job there. But do we look at someone like Michael Neeser, who comes in as a bowling all-rounder, who can also score runs? but not even looking like a chance of getting a game and then taken off the list. And he's got guys like, you know, the one-day bowlers who, again, you know, you've got to mix and match here, but Jai Richardson's got a, a contract again. He's just come back from injury. Michael Neese has been in this squad, in this team for two years. Jai Richardson's been injured, but Jai Richardson gets a contract and Michael Neese doesn't does not. How does that? How is that fair, let alone anything else? How is that fair to a guy who has put in so much? And then you've got uh, Mitch Swepson, who Hones acknowledged is you know, probably the next best spinner in Australia and is a big chance of one day becoming the number one spinner once Nathan Lyon retires. He's, but he, you know, we, we don't pick him. We've got two spinners on that list, which is fine. You know, you've got Nathan Lyon, who everyone acknowledges no one's going to get picked in front of him. No matter, and you look at you know the last season wasn't great in Australia. It wasn't particularly uh, penetrative or anything like that. But there was no chance of anyone getting in front of him, just like in the 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 fast the the three fast bowlers. We just blindly go in, and the selectors just say that's our bowling attack. Just look at them. Who would you pick in front of them? Well, sooner or later you've got to. And if you don't, you're going to get to the stage where they all retire, and then suddenly we've got. The you know a test bowling attack who have never played a test because they've never been given the chance. So, I you know is Swepson good enough to play test cricket? Well, I think India probably would have monstered him, um, but you would like to think a leggy against England would be handy. But how are they ever going to do it if they just don't change any of these bowlers? Um, It's really frustrating from my point of view, and I'm sure other people out there think that. And it's it's not because uh, Hones has said anything wrong. I mean, at the moment, if you if we look at in a second just the batting, um, what he said is is technically correct. But some some way these selectors have to find a way to work away around these problems and find a way to to get people into the right places. And maybe that's not their job to score runs or anything like that. But they're the ones whose job it is, is to give people the opportunity to make that. And with our bowling, with Noosa especially and with Swepson, if you just keep these guys around the squad and never play them, it's you're going to find that eventually they're going to move away and not be good enough anymore and miss their opportunity in their, in their window to be good enough to play test cricket. Man out at long on, but he needs to be 25 seats back. So as we're talking about the batting, you know, and we're talking about test batting, I mean, one day test cricket batting, it, it doesn't matter. But test batting, we all know 
we've got no top water batsmen. We all know we've got no opening batsmen. Well, and when I say that, we say we haven't got anyone who's actually stuck their hand up and done a half decent job to say that they're the one. But we don't have any middle order batsmen either because, again, no one's been given that chance. And I spoke about Henriques earlier who may have been able to get a chance at some stage. Uh, they tried uh, Joe Burns and Matthew Wade, you know, and burnt him and then Pekowski and then Harris in the last test series. Now, out of all those guys, none of them have a contract. So, in essence, um, Holmes has come out and said, well, that's because we don't know who we're going to pick, so we need someone to come out and prove that they can take on that job. That's all fine. We've already spoken about Pekowski. He's a kid who deserves a contract and should have one. But what are we going to do going forward if guys haven't got contracts? Uh, So there's no one there who has been given any indication that they are at the forefront of the selectors' minds. And maybe that's because they don't have anyone at the forefront of their minds as to who they're going to pick there. But if you don't put guys on a contract system where they know they can go out for the next six months and they can just work on their game and get themselves ready for the Ashes series into the year, then you're putting the pressure on them as to work out whether they're going to continue to, to do that or they're just going to take off six, you know, three or four months and then they'll just come back in September and do what chill cricketers used to do, which is take the winter off and just play cricket in that way. And yet with the bowlers, you've picked a guy like Jimmy Pattinson who didn't play at all last year and got injured and slipped over in the bathroom or whatever he did. And yet he's got his spot. He's still got his spot because to the selectors' minds, he's the next bowler to get picked in any situation. If one of our top three fast bowlers gets injured, he's the next one. But we'll ditch someone like Nisa, who has done far more at a domestic level than Pattinson has, and yet we will keep, as I said, Jai Richardson in that team, um, and we'll pick a guy like Ashton Agar in that team who looks like he's going to be the white ball sort of, you know, hitter, slogger, slash um, spinner, but no real chance of playing test cricket, you wouldn't think. And certainly Haynes has come out and said that he's not in the top two spinners being looked at for test cricket. So we're going down that route again where it's very difficult to see for us to see what the selectors are thinking. Now, Alex Carey has uh, been picked in the squad. He's not playing in the T20 team. He's not playing in the test team. He's only in the one-day team. Now, how many one-day games are we going to have in the next 12 months? It won't be many because it's T20 cricket. It's T20 World Cup time. So maybe half a dozen at the most. So Alex Carey is on that list as the one-day wicketkeeper for possibly six games. A possible chance of making the T20 team, but it seems unlikely because Wade has been in that position and then Philippi appears to be the next guy who also is not on the list. But he's also there as the, the backup, we assume, to Tim Payne. Now, if Tim Payne plays through the whole Test Series and without retiring, then Alex Carey won't play in the Test team at all. And then, even then, in 12 months' time, who's to know? I mean, 
lots of people have been having their name thrown up to being the next Test wicketkeeper now. There's Josh Inglis. Um, uh, Jimmy Pearson from Queensland has been doing a fantastic job. Um, Philippi himself. So there's not, not as if there's only one option, but Alex Carey has got an Australian contract for possibly up to six one-day games. That could be his entire season. So is there a need to have two wicketkeepers on that list? Do you just pick one and say, well, you know, again, I will however many games you play, if you work your way in, then you get a contract. Surely making uh, a young batsman like Pukowski have to work his way into that list. Surely you have to do the same with Alex Carey to prove that you're actually the next keeper. But again, if the selectors have already decided that's who it's going to be, which is what this list suggests, then you get a free reign. All right, so I've rambled on for a fair bit. And in the long run, look, as has been explained, the contract list of 17 players, it's just 17 people who are getting a certain amount of money, which is a lot, that other players won't be getting, which is a shame. And that if you play enough at the top level, then you get your contract upgraded and you get onto that level, whatever it is. So is it a massive deal? It's only a massive deal for the three or four guys on that who are missing, who've missed out on that list, who have played for Australia in the last twelve months, who probably think that they're still going to be first choice players. And you know, Pukowski and Head, especially, you would think they would think that they're still in the front row seats to get their spots in the Test team come November, um, because there's not a lot else out there who who are doing that job. So they're, they're missing out on money that they probably deserve because they are still going to be the guys who get picked. So that's probably where it's unfair. And it's also unfair on guys like, certainly a guy like Michael Nisa and perhaps Moses Henriques, who have been in the test squad for 12 months at least, and Nisa obviously for two years now, without getting a game. But because they're in the squad, they would think, well, if something someone gets injured or the form goes down, then I'm going to get my chance. So why do they suddenly now not get a contract just because that opportunity hasn't arisen? It isn't as if they haven't put themselves forward to be able to, give, to, to get that opportunity themselves. So what does it all mean, like I said? Well, in the long run, no. It's all about money. And the only people who are disappointed are those three or four who didn't get those contracts, as I just said, and probably the three or four who are in there who who may well not get a game because they certainly won't be looked at for a test spot. And if they don't uh, get to the way at the top of the T20 mop pile and they're only sort of looked at it one day, well, they're not going to get much game time either. What does it show about where Australia's at, though? And that's where most interest has actually lied over the last few days since that list came out. It shows that. The selectors at the moment have no idea who's going to open with David Warner in probably any form of cricket. It shows that in the test team at least, they have no idea who's going to bat at number five. So there are two spots there uh, that they absolutely have no idea who to choose and they believe that 
that people need to stand up and score runs to take those spots. The problem being is that the people who are scoring, standing up and scoring the runs are the ones who they've just dropped recently. It shows that as backup bowlers in the test team, the selectors still have a, a massive reluctance to go beyond our four main bowlers. And even though they have a lot of uh, spare bowlers there, they've been basically picked for the rotation of the white ball cricket rather than the test cricket. The guys who they want, uh, who who may have to get a go if our main bowlers don't do well or if they get injured, are being left off that list as well uh, and forced to be paid less money just because the selectors won't take a risk and give them a go, which is what should have happened last season. It shows that at the moment, the Australian test team is in all sorts of trouble. We rely too heavily on Warner, Smith and Labashane with the bat, and we are relying too heavily on those four main bowlers, and if anything goes wrong, firstly, if they don't perform well, which was probably stark during last season especially, or if someone gets injured, then we don't have experienced backup to come into that team, which could be very, very, very costly. At the moment, if you were a supporter of Australia, you would have to be concerned about the way Australia are going to perform against England next season. At the moment, England are favourites, and I know that sounds stupid to some people because we're playing at home and they will say, look at our players and how great they are. And Well, I think we've been shown recently, especially against India, our team is not as good as they think they are or as some of us think they are. And the the fact that Hones has come out this week and shown his concern with this list about where we are at with our international cricket and especially our test cricket pretty much shows that it's open slather for anyone who can come out and score runs, but there need to be changes made in order to allow people to get good quality opposition at shield level and get good quality cricket so that the runs or wickets that they take are actually good runs and wickets and not just on paper showing that you know they scored a thousand runs a season and not about the fact that they're playing against people who are basically just good first grade bowlers. Anyway, enough of all that. You've listened to me long enough if you've lasted this long. Lots more to talk about before the next season with cricket and uh, plenty of things that we need to work on. And if anyone will listen to me and wants to send this to Cricket Australia and get them to employ me to uh, give them my thoughts and fix up the way Australian cricket is, please feel free to forward it to them. Thanks for listening once again, and uh, I hope that you'll tune in again next time for more thoughts from the Metal Cavern.